0: With Rabbi Dr. Natan Margovit, who was ordained in Jerusalem in 1990 and earned a PhD in Talmud from UC Berkeley in 2001. He taught at Bard College, RRC, and Hebrew College Rabbinical School. Natan serves on AOP's VOD and is director of the Earth Based Judaism Program and is founder of Organic Torah. Reb Natan, thanks so much for being with us today to talk about emergent Judaism, how an ancient tradition gets new ideas. Welcome. All right. Thank you, Roshmuli,
1: and uh, it's great to be here with you all. And um, so you should have gotten some sources in the uh, in in your in your chat, and uh, in just a minute I'll I'll share those sources. Um, it really is just this you know this this question which I pose in the you know in the intro of like if we're you know we're a tradition and usually people think about like a tradition as something that stays stable and it's you know tradition is like something that's old and yet the reality is that if for a tradition to stay alive as Judaism has stayed alive for these thousands of years that uh, it needs to change it needs to it needs to keep growing and responding to uh, and responding to our new circumstances and so I you like wanted to just explore a little how does it do that How is Judaism what are some of the what are some of the secrets of how Judaism stays relevant and stays alive and stays stays creative, um, so I'm going to share a few sources and uh, please I um, I love to interact with people. So the the way we're setting it up is like so you know write your questions or or join them in your, in the chat or however you want to do that and we'll collect them and we'll talk about them in the end. But in the in the meantime, I'm going to share I'm going to share screen and uh, take a look at some of these sources. Hey. Okay. okay, hope everybody can see. So this is this is a midrash. It's a it's a uh, interpretation of midrash. One of my favorite midrashim if anybody's learned with me uh, at any time, I, I, I often come back to this midrash because I think it's just so beautiful and central. Uh, it's a midrash on uh, a verse from the Song of Songs, right? Quite right, right at the beginning of the Song of Songs, navu lechayech tzavarech becharuzim." Your cheeks are comely with plaited wreaths, your neck with strings of jewels. And on that, the, the comments that the, what the rabbis decided to tell to 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 like explicate that verse. Very interesting story. They tell the story of Ben Azai. Ben Azai was sitting and learning and there was fire all around him. The other students went to Rabbi Akiva, who was their teacher, and told him. He said, he came and said to him, I hear that you're learning and fire was all around you. He answered yes. He said, perhaps you were dealing with this secret mystical text, the Chamber of Chariots. He answered, Ben Azai, answered, no. Uh, by the way, he was, he was uh, not yet a rabbi. He was a, he was a student at the time, and one was not supposed to actually deal with this chariot. The chariot was the deepest mysticism that you were not supposed to share with just anybody. Nobody was supposed to be learning it. In fact, they said that you're only allowed to teach it to one person and that person already had to know it. So if you can figure that out. Um, So he says, no, I was not doing the chariot mystery. No, I was sitting and threading, threading together words of Torah and from the Torah to the prophets and from the prophets to the writings and the words were as joyous as on the day they were given on Sinai and as sweet as the very day they were given. For was not there giving at Sinai with fire, as it is written, and the mountain was ablaze with flames. So it goes on a little bit, and I want to, um, uh, I'm actually not going to read the next section because it kind of complicates it, but this is the basic thing that I wanted to to look at. What First of all, there's many questions we can ask on this. Why on this verse about the, the beloveds, the lovers who are, um, your cheeks are comely with pratery, your neck with a string of jewels. Why are they talking about this guy Ben Azai learning Torah? Um, well, perhaps one could say he they're learning, because for the rabbis, learning Torah was love. They found love, and uh, this was an activity that they loved. And they felt this love in the activity activity of learning Torah and that was what was going on. Also, you may have noticed the connection between the stringing, stringing things together. The, uh, your neck with a string of jewels and Ben Azai was stringing together, was threading together the words of Torah and the words of Torah to the prophets and the prophets to the writings. And that is what he was getting. He got this mystical experience. He got an experience where it was like a Sinai kind of experience, because there were flames all around him, and he identifies, he identifies those flames as perhaps flames of love, flames of passion, but also this is the flames that reminds him of Mount Sinai and the revelation. So I wanna think about that for a, for a second. What is going on here? Why are stringing words of Torah so exciting and so lovely that the words themselves are happy. The words themselves are as joyous and as sweet as the day they were given. And Benazai has this experience of, of love and joy and revelation. What is it about stringing words together? So I wanna think about that because what he's doing is he's creating new juxtapositions. This is in fact, really the, the essence of Midrash. The essence of Midrash, which is the rabbis' way of interpreting Torah? Very often, most of the time, what you'll see them doing is they will come and uh, take a verse, and they will say, "Ah, like let's take a look at this verse. Ah, you know what? There's a word here that's like a word over there. I'm going to compare this word here, this verse here, and they're going to bring another verse from some other completely, completely different part of the Torah. You see that all the time. They're making new juxtapositions. So, for example. You see, for example, in the very beginning of the Torah, very beginning of the Torah, you have, it says, the, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. And they say, the rabbis come along and say, ah, oh, that's an interesting word, hovering, mirachefet. Where do we see that word hovering? Ah, oh, well, there's another place where it says there's a, there's a, a mother bird that's hovering over its young. And they say, ah, you know what, let's connect those two verses, even though one is way over here and one is way over there, and we'll learn something. Ah, maybe God's hovering over the, over the face of the deep. Maybe that hovering is like the mother bird over its young. Maybe we can learn, maybe God is caring and loving and nurturing to the creation. Just one example of many, many examples where they are bringing new meaning to the Torah, Without actually changing anything, they can they'll they'll uh, put something together with something else. You can mix and match, as it were, as if you're stringing a a bunch uh, a string of jewels. You might try this. You might try that. When you put something in a new context, when you juxtapose it to a new to a new context, all of a sudden a new meaning comes out. That actually that actually works. In anything, not only not only in Torah, and actually one of the things, one of the things that I love to do is, I'll take a text like this, this midrash, and I will come and uh, I didn't do that for this for this class, but sometimes I'll take this, and I'll juxtapose this midrash, to say an ecological text. Sometimes I I uh, I juxtapose this text to a text from Wendell Berry where he talks about the patterns of an organic farm. I'll say, okay, we never thought of that. Let's take a look at this rabbi doing midrash and an organic farmer. I never thought of putting those together. But when you see what they're doing, in fact, it looks like what Ben Ben Azai is doing is a very interesting way of solving problems. He's solving problems not by Trying to find one answer, but saying, like, listen, I'm going to make this juxtaposition and I'm going to put that next to that and I'm going to create a new pattern. And that's exactly what he says about an organic farmer. He says an organic farmer has to find the patterns, like how much, how many animals versus how much land for crops, how many people working, how much water, how much land, how much sun. All of those things are about comparing things, finding symmetries and patterns, and it's really it's a very interesting way of looking at something and coming up with creative solutions by creating new juxtapositions. So that is that is one that's just one of the ways that I like to uh, that I like to look at how we find new things because to me this is something that's. Always available. It's available. It was available to, to Ben Azai back 2000 years ago when he, was, when he was learning and when they created this midrash to say, you know what? We, we have the Torah, the written Torah, and we understand that there's infinite meaning in that Torah. How do we get to that infinite meaning? Ben Azai says, let's string the words together in new combinations. We don't change any one word, but we string them together. And the words are as happy as when they're given on Mount Sinai, meaning he feels like it's a new revelation. I can find new meaning by finding new juxtapositions, and to me, this is this is a wonderful way of thinking about our tradition as always being alive, always being there to find new meanings. So that's 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 one thing that I uh, that I like to talk about, and we can come back. I hope there's questions and uh, and thoughts about that which I'd love to come back to okay let us go on a little bit more well actually let's take a second here because I skipped this whole other side of it the whole other side of it really is was not really so much but there's a, there is another side because there's different ways of learning and thinking so this continues, Rababahu Bahu was sitting and learning. So this is the continuation of that midrash. And there was fire all around him. He said, perhaps I'm not stringing the words of Torah properly. For Rabbi Levi said, there are those who know how to thread, but don't know how to drill. And those who know how to drill, but don't know how to thread. But I know how to thread and how to drill. So apparently there are a couple of different ways. And these are interesting ways of thinking. It's almost like there's synthetic, Thinking and there's analytic thinking. This is maybe Rabbi Abahu is more of an anal- analytic thinker. He liked to drill. What does it mean to drill? I mean to like cut things down and get down to the smallest thing and go straight into the problem and try and solve the problem. That's one way of thinking. And he tried this other way this way of stringing things together. And he, maybe he was a little scared. Maybe he thought that, ah, oh, this, uh, this is too creative for me. This is too, uh, maybe I'm not doing it right. And he got a little scared because the fire could be also, the fire can be scary. And Rabbi Levy says, you know what? I can actually do both. And so maybe that's an ideal. An ideal is you have that analytic thinking that breaks things down and solves the problem. And then you have that, threading kind of thinking, the synthetic, analogic thinking where you say, how I can put things together? Can I put things together without changing any of those things, putting them together in a new way to find a new meaning in what was, uh, what was already there? And then, okay, so that is one. That's what I call stringing pearls making Midrash by juxtaposing old and new. Actually, you can juxtapose old and old, and then it becomes new. The other thing is, another, another method that we have in Judaism is know what you know well. Experience the whole that is greater than the sum of its parts. This is really important. That's what uh, the whole that's greater than the sum of its parts. What we call emergence—something that can emerge almost, almost magically—when you get to the whole, when you see the whole, and it's very different. So this is a much more recent text. This is from 20th century. The Apia Setsner Rebbe, Rabbi, Rabbi Kolonimus Kalman Shapiro, who was uh, who lived in Warsaw. He was actually the Rebbe Hasidic Rebbe in the Warsaw Ghetto. He's famous for for being in that ghetto and continuing to teach to his followers throughout throughout that time until he was until he was martyred. And uh, he wrote this is a book called Derech HaMelech, which he wrote before the war. And he talks about just this little section, talks about the mitzvot as the limbs and the sefer, the book as the whole. So let's read this together. The mitzvot, individual commandments, reveal only the limbs, while the sefer, the book, reveals the essence, the whole structure of which the mitzvot are only the limbs. So he's got this distinction now, this whole idea of the, the, the whole structure, which he is actually, the translation of that is the, is the Shi'ur koma or koma, which is again, it's a whole, there's a whole history behind that phrase, but it's like, it's, it's the personality, that the essence, which you get when you see the whole. Therefore, when one looks into a book or hears words of Torah, if one only sees or hears one or two things, and especially if someone only wants to hear a nice idea or drash, one only hears the limbs and misses the teacher's wholeness, and doesn't encounter the prophecy within the words. So again, it's a similar thing, similar to what we saw just a minute ago with Ben-Azai. If you notice, he's talking about prophecy. Now, he's not talking about prophecy the way you have biblical prophecy, where you know you have prophets who are predicting things. This is going to happen in the future if you don't do this or that. That's not That's not the kind of prophecy he's talking about. He's talking about prophecy of feeling... A sense of revelation, a sense that you are really having something directly from the divine source. And it's not just something that that your mind could have thought of, but you're getting something as as a real revelation. So it's very similar kind of result to what we saw with Benazai and Benazai's juxtaposing and threading. He's saying when you see the whole, then you see the prophecy within the words. Therefore, this person only knows what he heard, because he didn't encounter the whole teacher. The conduit of prophecy. And he'll remain in all his actions in the same state of doubt and ignorance as before he heard anything. So that's, you say, like, okay, you heard a few words, you heard something, but you didn't get the whole. Therefore, when you study, take only one or two books according to the time you can allot to them and study them deeply. And when you hear Torah from a teacher, return often and learn a lot from him or her, I would say. Because it is in the combining of all the limbs that the essence of the person's wholeness is revealed. And it is through that wholeness that God reveals prophecies. And then the the kicker, the one that, that he really has, which is beautiful, this last thing, And then a person knows not only the words that one heard, but will also come to reveal from within oneself, new thoughts and paths and understandings. So it's not just that you got something revealed to you and now you have that information, but something actually changes within you and you become a fountain of of new Torah. You are actually transformed by that and so what's the difference what is he talking about he's saying you know that there's a there's a real difference between getting the whole I don't know if people have had that had that experience of you know you 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 get a, you get something and you read a little here and you read a little there but then when you really get into it, when you get the, you read the whole book or or you studied with a teacher and you study with that teacher for long enough that you can almost like you know you can almost finish their sentences as it were so like but then you see that there's something very different very different than when you're just when you're just getting a word or an idea here you've gotten you've gotten the whole and this is so this is so important in so many things i think so many things in life and in judaism where if it's you know something comes together when it becomes a whole i don't know if people have ever you know if you do any art for example any kind of art whether you're a writer or 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 a painter or artist or an actor or a dancer, if everybody's if anybody's been in a performance, for example, and you're practicing, you're practicing a play, for example, people doing their lines and doing their lines, and it's something. I'm, and then all of a sudden, you you know, you do everything. Everything kind of like all of a sudden hits a point where it comes together, and then it seems to come alive. I don't know if people have ever written, if you've written a story or you're writing something, and uh, Writers have this experience. You you uh, you're writing, and you have this character, and all of a sudden, you're not telling what the characters are telling you what what they're going to do next. The character is telling you because it's come alive, and that's really what I think he's talking about. He's saying about the, when something becomes a whole, then it's an aliveness which is being transmitted, and when you get the whole teacher, this this idea that He says, very practical kind of advice, when you have a, uh, you know, uh, uh, some books, like you've got a bunch of books on yourselves, take a few, take a few and really go into it deeply and really learn it so that you feel like, oh, I know the teacher, I know the writer, I can feel not just what they said, but I can almost feel what they're thinking behind what they said. Then, then you are not just gathering bits of information, you have actually become transformed and you become able to take your, take your Torah and make it new by bringing in that transformation that happened to you. So this whole idea of having something where you see the whole and the whole is able to actually create something alive and what he calls prophecy, that is something that I think that is, is, is another way that we find newness, that if we, if we, if we were only transmitting words and only transmitting, you know, sort of lifelif- lifeless information, it wouldn't remain alive. So again, that's that's another source that we have that we're talking about here. And here's another one. This is the third one that I was going to talk about. Reversing entropy, I always like this story, these reversing entropy stories, uh, because we think that we think that the tradition, one of the things that one thinks about a tradition is that it gets old and like we have this idea, well, this was said at Mount Sinai, and then now we forget and we forget and we forget until it like it runs out. And that's like anything in life. You say like something, you've got something, it gets older and it gets worn out and it gets older somehow a tradition is not supposed to work that way it actually can renew itself and not necessarily we're not necessarily just getting farther and farther from the source So we have this like for example in the Haggadah we see in the Haggadah in, in every generation a person must, person must see him or herself as though he or her personally had gone out of Egypt as it is stated and you shall tell your son on that day saying It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came forth out of Egypt. That's just sort of one example of the way we talk about something in this holiday, coming up in in a bit more than a month, about how when we talk about the story of Egypt, we're not talking about, it shouldn't be something that, oh, this happened, and we're remembering what happened 3,000 years ago. No, we wanna bring it into our own life and say, this is about my own liberation, and I also feel as if I'm coming out of Egypt. It's not something in the past but something that I actually I'm going to put my own story into this story. So here's like there's a couple of a couple of Hasidic stories that I think really illustrate this point. One of them one of them, this one is there's a few versions of this story um and one of them I know when, when my kids were little we used to read this story about this overcoat. There's a, there's a few different versions of it in uh, in the sort of Hasidic and Yiddish uh, storytelling storytelling uh, literature. But here's 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 one version of it. And there was a man there was a man with an overcoat. But the overcoat got old and worn out, so he cut it down and made a vest out of it. But eventually that got old and worn out, so he made a handkerchief out of it but eventually that got worn out, so he made a button out of it. One day, the button broke off and fell into the river. At first, he was upset. After all, he couldn't make something from nothing, but then he brightened up. Yes, he could. Now he could make a story out of it, and he did. I don't know if people remember, I have fond memories of that. There's a children's book uh, that, uh, that is, is, is from that version of the story. Uh, And it's clearly a story. It's clearly a metaphor for our tradition. Things get worn out and yet you think that you can't make something from nothing, but you know what? You can. You can make a story of it. And here's another one about the story. This is a famous story, one of the more famous uh, Hasidic stories. When Rabbi Israel Baal Shem Tov, the founder of Hasidism, saw that the Jewish people were threatened by tragedy, he would go to a particular place in the forest where he lit a fire, recited a particular prayer, and asked for a miracle to save the Jews from the threat. Because of the holy fire and faithfulness of the prayer, the miracle was accomplished, averting the tragedy. Later, when the Balshem Shem Tov's disciple, the Magid of mezrich had to intervene with heaven for the same reason, he went to the same place in the forest where he told the master of the universe that while he did not know the, how to light the fire, he could still recite the prayer. And again, the miracle was accomplished. Later still, Rabbi Moshelev of Sassov, in turn a disciple of the Magid of mezrich went to the forest to save his people. I do not know how to light the fire, he pleaded with God, and I do not know the prayer, but I can find the place, and this must be sufficient. Once again, the miracle was accomplished. When it was the turn of Rabbi Israel of Rizin, the great grandson of the Magid of Mezrich, who was named after the Baal Shem Tov to avert the threat, he sat in his armchair, holding his head in his hands and said to God, I'm unable to light the fire. I do not know the prayer and I cannot even find the place in the forest. All I can do is tell the story. That must be enough. So what do we have from these, from these uh, versions? It's again, it's like what I like to talk about as a, a reversal of entropy, because you see there's this kind of entropy that's going on, The things get worn out, they get old, people forget. That's what happens in tradition. And we're always in Judaism, we always seem to be worried about, oh, what if we're gonna forget? We're not going to be able to carry on like oh my parents my grandparents they really knew but now everybody's forgotten, and we always have this kind of feeling of disaster like it's really it's it's running out like we don't have what we don't have what we used to have we don't have what my grandparents have, and so forth and and Jews have seemed to have had that feeling for uh, for a long time and yet and yet we're still here somehow, and it seems like that there's something about that idea of you know what? When you actually feel yourself part of the tradition, and you're able to add your story to that tradition, then in fact you continue the tradition, and it doesn't actually get older. It actually gets new. It actually gets new again, and it's not. It doesn't seem to actually. Uh, it doesn't seem to actually run out, but in fact it actually stays strong. So it's one of those. It's one of those really sort of paradoxical. Kind of things we see with these stories that things don't necessarily feel like they're getting old and we're losing it. But in fact, when we actually add our story, and what does it mean to add our story? It really means to like take our personal experience seriously. At the one at, on the one hand, taking our experience really seriously and say, really, what is going on? I must, I have to take my life seriously and my story seriously. And at the same time i want to see my story as part of this continuing story and that's the key the key is that if i if i add my story not just as a an unconnected story but if i can see my story as part of the continuing story then the story remains new so really these are a couple these are these are sort of like three ways three ways that i've seen to keep the tradition finding new ideas, coming new ideas. And I actually, since I wanted to actually, before I just kind of like go back and and uh, sort of review them, but at, at, uh, I was thinking before we came on today that we are almost at Purim and Purim actually brings another, there's another thing that uh, is not in our sheets here, but uh, Purim is another one of those holidays that I think holds these kind of secrets. About how we how we create newness, how we create new ideas in Judaism. Because Purim is a really interesting, it's one of my favorite holidays. And Purim is a holiday that celebrates what they call, what they call in anthropology, the liminal. The liminal means like that which is betwixt and between. It's like undefined, and we know the whole story of Purim. The whole story of Purim is the story of how. Nothing seems clear, nothing seems to make sense. We don't see God acting, we see these things which seem like they're coincidences, we see this kind of uh, this, this sense of confusion, and and even the way we celebrate Purim, we celebrate Purim by putting on masks and uh, and and costumes and reversing, you know, the, it's it's like there, there are many cultures that have these rites of reversal and, and, and holidays where things can be confused and mixed up and the high can be low and the low can be high and you can take on a different identity and that, uh, that celebrating with, uh, with, with getting a little drunk all is all part of that. There's something about Purim that says we can actually get out of the normal categories of life. And that's something which also renews us because Judaism actually has a very interesting relationship. Purim says, we have all of these laws and all of these things of this is the way it's done. And for 364 days a year, we say, let's do it this way. This is the right way. This is the way we understand it. And on Purim, we say, you know what? We're gonna turn everything upside down. We're gonna shake it all up. We're gonna like, let it let go and and, and see that in fact, there's something beyond there's something actually beyond all of these laws and all of these understandings. And if we can go into that beyond place and still, and still remain connected, then sometimes we can bring back new ideas. And that's something that also I want to just, you know, leave people as we come into Purim in a couple of days. Purim is a place where we can hit that beyond place and bring back, bring back new ideas. So that's a, uh, let me just go back over and just review a little because I really hope that, that you'll uh, have thoughts and questions. This idea of juxtaposing, making new, new juxtapositions, mixing things that are, without changing anything, but actually creating a new juxtaposition, creating, connecting things that are old, connecting things that are new, connecting things that you didn't think were connected before, in fact, is a wonderful way to find new meaning Without, without ever changing a word. And that's, that's Ben Azai. Then we have the, the Pia Setzner talking about this idea of wholeness. When you can connect to the whole, then you find new things actually emerge. And there's a magical kind of emergence when you can find the new in the whole. And so finding the wholeness, knowing our tradition in its wholeness allows one to become a font of creativity. If you just know a part, then in fact, you don't feel confident to actually add something new. If you feel like I know a wholeness of it, then you become a creator as well. And then the third aspect, finding our stories and connecting our stories, our life experience, connecting that life experience to the to the tradition and continuing that newness, reversing entropy, so that in fact things don't just get old, but in fact things can actually be renewed. Okay, so let me stop the share. And you have the text in your in your chat so you can look at that as well. But I'm anxious to see what you all would like to talk about with any of these with any of these sources or the something else that just struck your mind. I see somebody Somebody commented, that's how poetry works. Yeah, somebody wanted to comment, or is somebody a poet and wants to uh, explain how that works in your life?
2: I'm not a poet, but it seems to me that um, what you're talking about, the layering and the threading, is, is something that poets do is that they, they connect images to evoke other things and to try to express feelings that are ineffable and difficult. And that one of the problems that we have in Judaism is that you might have a generation or a person who's had revelation or has had a God experience and that the rest of us may not be able to identify or relate to it till we have something that, that unifies things for us ourselves. So if you have that thunderclap, you have that revelatory moment, you have that experience that makes God real, then you can, you can say, oh, now I understand what it means that God is one and God's name is one. Otherwise, it might just be disparate images, disparate, disparate stories. But until you find some way to unify it and personalize it, you're on the outside of that that multi-generational conversation
1: yeah yeah beautiful there is that sense that there is a uh that you need it's just like you need words like poets work with words and images and uh it's it's ineffable it's ineffable if you if you're if you're not able to put things together but also even let's even like what if i want to sort of like stretch people to think about like even if we're not talking about like a revelation of God, we're not talking about some kind of a, of a mystical experience, but if you've ever, if you've ever written something or, or, or created something, or even within a group, even where there's a, uh, a sense that all of a sudden there's, a, there's something comes together and all of a sudden there's an aliveness. And that's, that's something that I think we all can experience that we all we all can say, OK, well, let's see, I or, or even, you know, in Judaism, you ever find something like, OK, I've put this together and then I read this article in the in the whatever newspaper or something. Or I heard this report on the radio and it clicked with something that I just read in the Torah portion. And all of a sudden you've made a juxtaposition that wasn't there before. And in some ways that that is another way of that's a different kind of revelation when you can put something together that you hadn't put together and you create a revelation, that's a midrash and that's how, that's how midrash works.
2: Well, I think one of the problems that uh, many people have or, or many less learned people have with Judaism is that it's so content heavy and it's so old, and it's so daunting, and there's uh, and often there's a language issue that it may be that like the uh, fellow who who played the flute to open up the gates of heaven, and some of us may be saying the only way I can be Jewish is to go to the go to the soup kitchen and be the the pot washer, and I I relate to my entire tradition because i show up and i, I wash the pots it's, it's it's complicated but we have to find our own our own roads into judaism
1: right ex- exactly yeah and so there's a lot of people there is that there is that sense of the, the daunting the dauntingness of it and and, and it's a, it's a it's a shame that that's that that's true because there is you know it's like you don't need to you don't need to have the whole thing you can find your way in anywhere and especially if you can find a way to connect whatever it is to your own experience and that's you know that's where the that's where in fact that's not only good for the person but it actually helps to bring things alive for the whole community because if you t- if you're if you're looking at a particular you could just look at this one verse and it doesn't matter if you don't know all the you know all the rest of the torah but if you could look at that one verse and you say well that verse reminds me of this thing that i just heard or that thing that i'd read or this then all of a sudden you've got a discussion going, and all of a sudden it's uh, you know you can bring those things together, and you're kind of you're mixing, and just like ben Azai, you're stringing together something that has never been strung together before, and that's the exciting thing because it's like we all have something that is new in this generation, you know. One of the things that I'm finding is 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 really interesting about our, this generation is that we've become aware of the you know of the threat to our environment and the threat you know the threat to the earth and all of a sudden you know it's just in the last in the last few years um, we've started to become aware of 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 you know of the earth and taking care of the earth and and how sometimes it's like there it's not just about like doing more and more, but maybe sometimes there are limits. And it's very interesting that when we actually come to the torah with that perspective then all of a sudden we start to see all sorts of things in the torah that for generations nobody saw because nobody was looking at it from that angle and we start to see oh you know what they use the word you know eretz and adama like practically on every page and all of a sudden we realize like oh you know what they're talking so much about food systems and farming and and taking care of the land and you know, for generations, nobody really was talking about that, and so it's very interesting just how every generation has something that is not—it's not—it's uh, not only uh, not worse than what the previous generation has. In fact, it's—it's it's a new thing that's that's finding new, finding ideas in the Torah that that perhaps couldn't have been found before this generation, and so. I think it's it it really is it really is a shame when people come in with that that kind of that kind of sense of intimidation that you're talking about, because our experience is exactly what the Torah needs in, in, in Ben Azai's term, it's what the Torah needs to feel joyful. The Torah wants to feel joyful too in terms of being, let's, let's will somebody will somebody string me together in a new in a new in a new pearl necklace so that i can so that i can sing in a new t- in a new melody uh, thinking around that that idea
3: I have a question. It's like kind of cantankerous maybe, um, but I, this is the place that I want to ask it. There have been many times when I've listened to, when I've been in a class and I've listened to, um, been studying not the Torah, but maybe looking at sections of Talmud and the rabbis trying to do this kind of thing. And my reaction has been, this is just a complete stretch. Like they're, they're, they're looking, they are really looking for something to string together. And, and really, this is just a stretch. I'm sorry, I don't buy it. And I'm perfectly willing to accept that that reaction could be coming from a huge place of ignorance on my part, because I am, you know, in the scheme of things, a fairly ignorant Jew. But I wanted to put that out there in terms of like, what do you think, you know, if you're talking about these? Um, so let me just leave it at that.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's great, and that's you know, that's I, you know, I, I agree with you. I think there's you know, there there are all sorts of times when you when you say like, well, that's not you know, that's that is to say, like that's a stretch, and I think that there are many. I think that there are, there are a lot of things going there are a lot of things going on with that. There's uh, first of all, there's you know, there's uh, there's the Talmud is a, The Talmud itself is a, is a really is a really interesting is a really interesting text, and, and and I think that we have this sort of like image of the Talmud being like rational and logical, and there is an aspect of it that is very rational and logical. A lot of people who study Talmud like the logic of it, and so forth and so on. But as in my in my many years of studying Talmud, I think that that's really only one, one level of it. I think that in fact what they're really doing, they're writing on a couple of different levels. They have a they 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 have sort of a facade of a of a rational kind of like argument going on. And then if you really kind of study it, you realize like, huh, that didn't quite make sense. And then if you go through it two or three times, you realize, like, in fact, you know what? I think they actually didn't mean it to make sense. They meant it to like sort of kind of makes sense but you were supposed to actually notice that it didn't make sense and ask a deeper question. So I think a lot of times what's going on there is that it's written on a, on a on a on a few different levels and they want you to actually notice that this doesn't make sense and ask another and ask a deeper question. So I think you're really onto something. Hold on to that feeling that this is a stretch, but don't assume that they're like just they're stretching because they're they don't necessarily know what's going on. I would generally assume they do know what the easy answer is, and they're probably giving you a, like a stretch answer because there's something that they want to like show you that's going on on another on another level. That's one that's one one possible way that I would that I would think about it because they were they were smart folks, and they were doing things in you know in a in a in a different kind of often in a not in a non-linear way. And it's often it's often a, a uh, something that you gotta kind of like work with and in some ways be kind of creative with, because I think that they were more creative than we give them credit for. Uh, so I don't know if that uh, if that satisfies you, but uh, willing to willing to. It'll hear. give
3: me something to think about in the future. Thank you.
1: Yeah, no, it's good because <laughs> I know, like studying Talmud is a hard thing. It's you know, it's a very hard text to, to, to crack open. And it's uh, as I as I said, like I think one of the things to notice is like it gives you it gives you a quasi logical kind of a thing, but in fact, I think that's really only the surface, and they're really actually telling you to go a little go go deeper. Um, all right, so let's see. I see a question. What is the most challenging part of emerging Judaism for traditional adherents to reconcile with? What is the line between new progress? And the transgressive. Great question. So that really is that question of like, so you know, we want newness and we want we want we want to keep things relevant and alive. And yet, we don't want it. We want it. We want to be very careful. This is a holy, sacred tradition. We are we are the uh, inheritors and the the guardians of something which is very precious, and it's not something to be. To be fooled around with that we're gonna do something that's that you know that's that's transgressive. And so that's that's a great question. I think part of that is is the sense of what we what we, you know what we talked about with that sense of wholeness and the sense of um, are you are you dedicated to the wholeness of it? As I say, like are you are you and in some ways it can be captured by the sense of lashem shamayim. Like, are you coming Lashem Shamayim for the sake of heaven, as opposed to an egotistic place? And 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 I think part of Lashem Shamayim having having it for the sake of heaven can also mean not you know not egoistic in the sense of not just for me, but also I'm gonna like see how this works in my community, and that's part of the wholeness as well. If this is something that um, that one is coming from a place of being connected to the tradition and feeling like that I am not doing this for my own glory, but I'm doing this for the tradition. That's one kind of a guard against doing things that are going to be transgressive because it's like there's a, there, there's a way that you can do things and I'm just being creative about it. And I'm just going to like, wow, that was such a cool idea. And it feels like, well, it's and it's kind of like all about me that's something to guard against if you're in the place where you really feel the sense of dedication to this tradition that i am part of something larger and yet you feel like you are bubbling with that creativity it's more likely that that creativity is going to be is going to be something that is useful and helpful if you're coming from that place of dedication to the whole so that's still i don't think it's a guarantee and i don't think that there's any any one Sort of like formula, but I think that those are some of the keys to think about when you're when you're worried about. Because yes, we knew we need the new, we need the creative, and I think the creative has to be has to be tempered by a dedication to the whole. So when we talk about oh, I'm going to tell my own story, I've been to a lot of places where like you know classes of things where everybody like they just want to tell their own story, and they're more interested in their story than actually hearing about the tradition and then there's other places maybe it's like where they're afraid to tell their own story because they just want to they just want to hear the tradition really that ideal is can i really hear the tradition and can i really take my own story seriously and then really feel how my story actually is kind of is is part of that tradition that to me is then you're really feeling something and you and you and you you're what you're going to add is more likely to be something that's really kosher as it were, it's going to be something that's going to really add in a in a deep way to the tradition. Um, and I think that that's what the P.S. Etzner was talking about. It was like, when you learn the whole, then you're not just getting a part and you're not getting, a, you're getting like the depth. And I think that when you come from that place, it's more likely that what you're going to be adding is going to, you're going to be adding something kosher because, you know, because you're part of that. So again it's it's a tricky thing and there's no one answer in any in in every circumstance but so that's great that's a great question for sure
0: time for one last question
1: <clears throat> or comment Rav I wonder if you have any uh, thoughts I'd love to hear. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know if you're, t- you're
0: accustomed to come and jump in. So. Sometimes I do. Um, sometimes I do. And uh, yeah, I, I think this is so incredibly important that we're thinking through this. And I, and, I, and I love the text that you're bringing for us to think about this. And... Um, <clears throat> Uh, l- let me pause just to see if there is someone else before I say anything. I don't want to cut anyone else off. I wonder, like, to pick up on one thread that was being discussed a little bit is, as how do we think of ourselves as kind of private consumers of Judaism versus kind of communal stewards of a future? Some of us might think of ourselves as leaders. And so one of the questions is, well, this is not about ego. This is about the future of the tradition uh, and the people. But others think of themselves as, yeah, participating in community, but really in some ways as kind of a personal participant. The question is, what is Judaism giving me Right? And it's not—that's not to say that it's necessarily selfish, as much as it's the, the, the primary question I would suggest most American Jews would ask is, "Well, what does this? What does this give me to my life? I'll take that and I'll leave the rest." Um, and so I wonder, within that mentality of kind of a transactional Judaism, a kind of a consumer Judaism, what is one's kind of role or responsibility in thinking of the future? Um, you know, if one goes to the movies to enjoy a movie, they don't ask, how do I preserve these movies for the future? They say, was that a good movie for me? And I think that's how many people participate in Jewish life. Was the sermon good for me? Is, this, is the synagogue community fulfilling for me? Right? How do I make the Passover Seder nice for me? And it's a me question. But again, that's not a critique as much as kind of, how, what do we do with a me orientation in regards to the question of the tradition's health and future?
1: Yeah, that's great, great question. Um, thank you. That, yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting because what, what comes to me right now is as you're asking that is that on the one hand, that's true. On one hand, we come in with this very individualistic me me culture, and yet what I think we often find that people are really thirsting for is being part of something. So it's really, you know, what really gets people to stay, all of these things that have been talked about and published uh, you know, it's like, how can you get people to feel part of the community and, and participating and jumping in? And so that to me is, it's kind of the paradoxical answer is like, yes, you kind of like answer that me culture by inviting people in in, in, in exciting, nourishing ways to become part. You know, it's like you say like, well, what's it doing it for me? Another, you know, some people also ask like, you know, are, am I, am I not a good Jew? But I would ask a different question: Is like, am I part of a living Jewish culture? Am I parting? Am I part of a living, thriving Jewish community? And and and, and that, because then, paradoxically, then your individual experience is also going to be rich and creative, and uh, and they're both going to they're both going to work together. So that really is, you know, I think the. Uh, the paradox of it. It's like,
0: you know, and in that same spirit, I think so much Jewish communal energy goes towards critiquing that which we don't like. It's very common for liberal Jews to kind of rage on ultra-Orthodox Jews. It's very common for ultra-Orthodox Jews to put down Jews that aren't in their camp. And there's so much energy. And And then you add the political dimensions, of the political dimensions we don't like. And then social media and so much energy goes to critiquing. And imagine if we channeled some of that energy, even just some of it towards um, kind of uh, an, an, a nurturing, a collaborative, innovative, uh, living uh, process.
4: I, I think there's a danger too, though, in, in, in such a focus on Torah study in that way, because it also can become um, daunting and almost elitist to many of us who don't have the background and the knowledge and, and, and I think the question is bringing its relevance be, behind, you know, to some people it looks like we're again, we're looking at the, how many angels on the, uh, can, can stand on a pin, and, and bringing its relevance to, to, to many of us is, is, um, is also a challenge. And the other standpoint having a son who does Torah study all day, is it, it it is a real separation, and almost in a modern world, this separation and walling off of uh, almost around Torah story, the Orthodox community is also something that could be detrimental to, the, to this the, this trying to build upon our past and and bringing its relevance to our present.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's there's all really interesting kind of paradoxes because, like you know, you could find something like you know. I mean, I'm sure like Rav Shmuley and, and, you know, I like spend years studying and studying in yeshiva. And, and, and on the one hand, like there's, a, there's, a, a, the, there's a, a deep value in having some of that, some of those years of really deep study, because then you can come out with with an ability, hopefully, hopefully an ability to actually see a lot of the whole and then come back and really connect have that ability to then connect things because somebody who really knows the stuff is not going to stay in the little uh, angels on the top of the pin. Somebody who really knows the stuff is going to be able to say, oh, you've got this question. Okay. Let's like, talk about this. You've got that objection. Okay. Let's talk about that and bring in all of those objections because all of those objections are part of our real story. I've got this thing. I don't like, okay, so let's explore that. And a really somebody who's, Somebody who really has a deep picture of the whole, you know, is is going to be able to like bring that in. You know, as I remember, like, I think it was Albert Einstein who said, like, you know, a really good teacher can explain anything to a five-year-old. You know, so it was like, you know, the ability to, the ability to be able to not stay in like that elitist place, but to mm-hmm. say, okay, let, let's look at all of these, you know concerns and issues and, and problems. And let's take Judaism, if anything, one of the things that I think that I even skipped over because it's so it's so basic is that Judaism is an interesting tradition that really welcomes questioning the tradition. Yeah. And, and those questions are part of the tradition from the very from the back to the Talmud. The Talmud mm-hmm. is a is a very strange text as sacred texts goes, in that there's practically no answers. There's practically only questions, and that, so that tradition goes way back. And it really is a skill to be able to like take those questions and then say, okay, you are part of the discussion. And ultimately, that's what keeps it alive is saying, okay, whatever your questions are, bring them in. They're
0: part of the discussion. Yeah. So, so just to conclude here, just one concluding thought. This has been so interesting. I think one of the things, the paradoxes here or the tensions here really is. You, you know, someone in, in the medical profession would never say, I'm going to collaborate with lay people, not in the medical profession, to think about the most pressing medical questions, right? As a cardiologist, I want to collaborate with my patients to think about the, the future of cardiology and how we're going to evolve. It'd be like, like, there's a big gap. You went to med school. These people didn't, like their patients. And so on the one hand, people who spent a decade studying Jewish texts have a different kind of knowledge than, than the common layperson. And the idea of a collaborative laboratory feels absurd. On the other hand, um, I think what happened in religion in America in the last decades is it shifted from knowledge to meaning. Religion became less about ne- uh, needing uh, knowledge and more about uh, the personal meaning. And meaning doesn't require expertise. Um, and so once that happened, it's become incredibly egalitarian and kind of open. And so it's almost violating when you go to your rabbi and your rabbi says you shouldn't do something. And then you do a Google search and you find that somebody out there said you could do it. Like, whoa, this rabbi violated my trust. They said, this is not a good Jewish thing to do. And I found on Google, somebody said you could do it. It's like horrible, you know? And so um, there's this really interesting tension of like, how do we keep kind of a respect for high level Jewish wisdom and knowledge and the process while also like really opening the accessibility and the collaboration, yeah, Michael, you're going to jump in there,
4: yeah, because I think your example shows the complexity. Because no. the thinking is, well, they're a doctor; they got to know they no. know what we need to do. When in reality, most me, you know, public health and fundamental questions of our priorities, which are not done from a strictly specialist position, are the most important things in our health. And and the thing about the expertise mm-hmm. of the physician is yeah it, 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 if i had something here that needs to be done yes but an, an overall health is, is so this to me is an example uh, where uh. the assumption is about you want to go to the doctor only yeah. but in reality the question of health is much more complicated that's great that's a great day. point
0: that is a great point yes exactly there's a, there's a whole system of health and each person needs to take personal responsibility for it and there are people we consult with in that process. That's very helpful. Yeah, Julie's going to share a last thought here. Julie. Okay, thank you. Uh, and those are excellent
5: thoughts. In addition to that, you know, so often Judaism is left the lay person to Judaism at large to the professionals. So what the rabbi says, what the rabbi thinks, that's what we think, without really imbibing it and you know considering what it means. But in fact, in order for Judaism to be alive and to remain from time, you know, back in antiquity throughout the ages from creation to consummation, it has to include everyone. It has to be inclusive to not just professionals, but to all people, to those that are not reading Torah on a daily basis, to those that want to live a good life and do well and, you know, live out mitzvot. So I was thinking of that story you know, here's a wonderful experience. How does that experience fit into my life? What if we were to ask, how does my life, how can my life fit into that experience? How can I become part of the the larger, the collective? And, you know, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, I love HaShalom, you know, he had this, he just wrote a book on morality. And he was, his whole basis is going from the I to the we, mm-hmm. from and so, how can we take all these little eyes and take that experience and make it collective? And I think that's part of the conundrum, and you know, part of our, our challenge going forward to make it relevant and life giving for all Jews. Yeah,
4: beautiful. Uh, again, the bridging the bridging the wisdom from Tevi to the Rebbe and back. Hmm.
1: Yeah, that's right. You know, and it just reminds me of like, you know, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs had this whole uh, idea that he wrote this book about, beautiful, about the idea of the scroll and how every Jew is a letter in the Torah. And yeah. it kind in some ways that, that's part of it. It's part communally, but also just the way it, ben Azai, because the letters take on their meaning when they are connected to the other letters, connected to the words, to the sentences. And so I mm-hmm. think you're right about that. Like if the Torah is given to all of us, And we all have that part to play.
0: Love it. Love it. Rebbe Natan, thank you so much for this. And I love not only the sources and the framework, but the invitation, indeed the challenge for all of us to participate in Jewish thought and Jewish life in such a way. And I hope our Beit Midrash will continue to be a think tank for us to do that together. Thank you. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye.
4: Thank you.